Welcome to the best show in the world. It's called Damn Mom Really, also known as the show that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. My name is Danae Reed and I'm going to be the host of this show for the next hour. So sit back and relax and listen to us laugh, cry, yell, curse, do whatever we got to do to get through the grief of losing our mamas. This beat that you're listening to was made by Scott Reed Jr. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Damn Mom. Really, the podcast that absolutely nobody wants to be on, but everybody wants to listen to because everybody wants to know what it's like to live without your mom. And so today, uh, I have Francesca with me, my new friend. She's an artist, a creative, a model. She does so many amazing things in the artistic space, and I'm super excited for our conversation and, you know, how art can tie into grief and how can that that sentiment might bring different things out of you. So without further ado, Francesca, welcome to the show. Tell everybody what you're about and who you are. Hello, everyone. My name is Francesca. Um, I am an artist, graphic designer, um, I'm also an opera singer, and all of those things have been kind of encompassed within my life, and I share majority of those things that I kind of inherited from my mother. And yeah, I, I use those things on a daily basis to help me get through my grief and cope, um, but I'm really excited to be here today to kind of talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I thank you so much for being here. So when we were talking in the background, you said that this might be a little bit emotional for you. And so the first thing I want to talk about is what made you decide to come on the podcast in the first place? Well, for for starters, I would say talking about my mom has been a journey. I think in the very beginning when she passed, I wasn't, of course, ready to have the discussion, but it's been about roughly five years and I've been able to publicly talk about my story and share with others who are going through similar situations on how I've kind of used my gifts and talents to help me get through and just also learning how important family is, especially after such a tragic loss, just the closest of family and how even if that's not blood family, like learning to create family that's around you that will support you. I think coming on this podcast is kind of adding to that aspect of being able to talk more about the situation. Yeah. So earlier you said you inherited some of your skills and talents from your mom, and I would love to talk a little bit about the type of person she is. Yeah. Um, my mom, how do I even, like, start? My mom was hilarious. Like, her sense of humor, her wit, I mean, it drew people in. Like, whenever people described her, they would always say that she they would make that she would make their day just based on how she would make them laugh if they were having a bad day. She was extremely talented, whether it was artistically talented and vocally, she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so blessed to have had her in my life for 23 years and being able to experience her on a, a daily basis and learning from her, I think just being able to be in her presence meant a lot to me. And what's your mom's name? Um, Michelle. Michelle? That's my mom's middle name. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So DMR stands for damn mom, really, but also Danette Michelle Reed. That's my mom's um, middle name. So that's, that's, thank you for sharing that. Um, A shout out to Miss Michelle. I'm sure she is beaming with pride right now at you talking about her and also your skill sets. And I want to go back to that because it sounds like a lot of who you are is rooted in a lot of who she also is and was. 
do you ever feel a responsibility to be all that she was or that she is in the midst of you understanding your skill set is very similar? A part of me, yes. I do feel obligated to be everything that my mom was. I think when I was younger, I kind of struggled with that aspect because whenever we were together, people would compare me to her when I look just like her. I sound just like her. I have all of her characteristics. So whenever we were together, we'd be like, oh, there goes Michelle's daughter. And it kind of like trickled into my adulthood to where I was just like, where can I find my own identity? (laughs) And then when she, and then when she passed, it was kind of like, it switched. It was like, I actually felt more comforted when people would say that about her and that she would, they would compare her to me because it was as if she was, even though she wasn't here physically, uh, she was here in, in other people's hearts and here spiritually. But um, now that I've gotten to this point in my journey, I feel that, you know, there's moments where, yes, I feel obligated to be everything that she was, but then realizing that it's okay to not lift that entire weight, mm. being okay with, you know, being vulnerable and like being like, I, I can't, I can't withhold all that. Like I can only do portions of it at a time. And sometimes I'm strong enough to do the whole thing. <laughs> sometimes I think about my mom, similarly to you, I have that sort of thing, you know, people see me and they see my mom and mm-hmm. uh, we have different we have different goals and backgrounds and career paths, but we are very similar in a lot of ways. But that's always something that I really love to hear because I always thought that my mom was just like the best, and I still do, the mm-hmm. best thing walking. She's the best thing since sliced bread to me, right? And so for you, you're saying that, I'm trying to just make sure I'm understanding correctly. It's some, Is that something that you kind of resented before she had passed? Uh, I think, yeah, growing up, I, I think I was trying to kind of, build my own identity outside of my mother because when I was growing up that's who people saw when they saw me and also like my my own name my whole full name I'm actually named after all four of my grandmothers oh wow thinking about that aspect of identity and like now I I love my name I, I think it's beautiful that I was named after four strong black women and now that my mother has passed, I really have taken on the persona of her because it has brought me comfort in my mm-hmm. in my grief and in my grief journey. Yeah. And it's funny because all of the women that I've talked to who have lost their mom share the same idea of trying to figure out who they are outside of their mothers. I think it's a common phenomenon amongst young women. Like I said, several conversations with people who've also felt the same way. And then when their mom passed, they either try to get far away from that or they run towards it. But it, it sounds like it brings you comfort to kind of be in the midst of that feeling. And I think that's awesome. Do you still find that you struggle with trying to figure out who you are outside of that space? And not just as it pertains to your mom, but just in general. Um, yeah, I, I do have my moments where I do struggle with trying to find exactly where I fit. I think growing up, I always had this longing of belonging somewhere. And I think that's what kind of catapulted me into like trying to figure out my identity at such a young age. Um, because it was introduced to me that I 
was in the likeness of someone else. And I didn't really have the words at the time to figure out like, hey, this is really who I am outside of my mother, outside of my family. But no, I feel like sometimes even as an adult, I still have those moments. And the reason I'm touching on this so much is because that's really where I'm at in my life right now, trying to figure out my identity outside of external things. Like, who am I outside of my job title? Who am I outside of a daughter that's grieving? And I think that for me, it's been really difficult because especially for the closest that I have with my mom and the way that I was with her when she was here and even so now, I feel like it's really hard for me to detach myself from being that. You know, before it was Danae's Danette's daughter. And now it's like Danae is a daughter that's grieving her mother who she loves so much. And it's like, okay, those things are true, but what is identity? You know, like what what does that mean? And I'm trying to figure that out right now myself. I don't have the, I clearly, I don't have the answers. That's why I'm asking everybody else, you know, what is that? But I think it's like a relatively untouched part of grief that people deal with when they lose their mom, specifically if it's like a mother daughter relationship. Um, so you lose your mom at 23. What did your life look like at that time? Around that time I was in college. It was my junior year of college I was just getting ready to go back to school for my spring semester Mm -hmm. I I went to a specialty school for art um, in Baltimore Maryland Institute College of Art Mm -hmm. and I was kind of going through the motions of like okay I'm getting ready to declare my major and my concentrations like I was I was in a focus mode and then I Noticed that my mom was starting to call me a lot more, just wanting to kind of touch base a lot more. And my schedule was so tight that sometimes she would call me, leave a message. I would have to call back and sometimes I would miss her, but we would end up connecting eventually. And yeah, it was a very busy time, but I didn't realize the extent of her health at that point. Mm. Um, I think she was really trying her best to keep me focused in school. Yeah. So she kind of didn't reveal her entire medical complications with me. She, I'm pretty sure she told my grandmother because my grandmother was kind of the person who told me what was going on after a while, but didn't share too much because she also wanted to make sure that I had space to focus on school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I lost my mom at 26, my brother was 23, and, you know, then you're still really just, I feel like 23 still feels kind of like you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many things going on, and it sounds like you had a lot going on in your life. I think as, you know, most early 20s and 20s and 30s or whatever, just people do in general. How did you factor loss into your life? I feel like the loss reflected on everything I did. Like my work in school, like I was still in school while mm-hmm. she was in the hospital and she, and even when she passed, I was still in school. All of my work flipped to doing work about her. Mm. Like every movie I watched that I've watched hundreds, 30, 30 times, <laughs> the emotion was different because I started to attach that to my situation. Yeah, I would listen to music, same thing. I would attach that to my my situation and it was it was difficult being in school and having to 
deal with such a tragic loss. Um, I definitely had a support group. My my teachers definitely supported me. My my best friends supported me. I had my counselors all made sure that I had what I needed. Even during that time, they even asked me like, "Do you want to take a sabbatical? Just kind of you know a year off?" And I was just like. No, because I know my mother would not let me do that. <laughs> she always encouraged me to keep moving forward, even in the midst of trial. But I had to realize even when I was going through that, I kind of carried all that grief and put it in a box and moved it to the side. And once I got out of college, uh, it kind of all imploded on me. And... That was that was so difficult for me to handle because there was nothing there to distract me at that point. Yeah. Um, and I had to go to therapy. I had to like convince myself to go back to therapy. And I'm so glad I did because I was really at a breaking point of like, I don't really know what else to do. Like I can't I can't focus. I can't kind of get myself in a in a space where I can deal with this. Um, but it, it took me a long time to even get back into doing art after college, even though I did go to grad school immediately after, mm-hmm. like my brain was still kind of in this mode of making art, but I was kind of burning myself out to try to again, distract myself. I stopped doing music for a while because when I sing, I hear my mother. Mm. Like, and when you think about it, it's supposed singing is supposed to comfort you. But for me, it was hurting me. It was hurting me deeply. And I had to stop just everything that had to do with my mother in order for me to get through. But yeah, that was that was during the time of 2018. Okay. Wow. So I'm so sorry for your loss and all of this. And I just hear everything in your voice. And I, it's like, it sucks that it feels so familiar when did you get to the point where you started loving art again? I would say when I started my full-time job. Like, I was working at my job, only I was downstairs in the museum at the time, and they had asked me if I wanted to stay after grad school, and I said, absolutely. They're like, we could work with you, create a position. And after college, I went straight into full-time working, and... I started to kind of fall in love again with graphic design because by trade, I'm a fine artist, but I wanted to learn something new, fresh to kind of slowly get me back into doing art. So I would say working really pushed me to love practicing art again. So Yeah. Were you ever worried that that love wouldn't come back? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that's all I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I know is to create all the time, whether that's singing, writing something, drawing, it, that I'm, even if it's like organizing a space, that to me, that's creating something. Yeah. Uh, and I was really concerned if I could get back on that train because I was so burnt out from grad school because I was also doing work about her along with other family members in my, um, in my family. I did like a whole thesis about uh, my family, but yeah, it was... I was very concerned. I was just like, I don't know. Like, I have <laughs> two degrees, but what am I going to do with them? I don't mm-hmm. know if I can really do this. But 
I think now that I'm in this space now, I feel that I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting back to what I love and what I know. So, And how would you describe that fear or that concern, if you could put it in words? Um, Like the fear of not going back to art? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would say it was quite jarring. Like, it was like, like, it's almost like you lose a limb. <laughs> it's almost like losing a limb. Like, that's the working part of me is to constantly be a creator. So if I didn't have that, what would I do with the rest of my life? Yeah. So you take this break from the thing that you love because it reminds you so much of your mom. And then, of course, eventually you get back into it. How did it change from what it was to what it is now? Um, I would say I'm more intentional about what I'm creating and why I'm creating it. Okay. I think when I was making work, I was making work to build a skill set. And then once I got to grad school, I started to learn how to be more intentional about my my work and how my audience perceives it. So I think, yeah, around that time, that's when I, I felt the intentionality of my work come to play. And how has that transcended into your day-to-day life? I think with being patient with myself, I, I think that intentionality kind of moved into being like, okay, if I'm going to be more intentional about my art, I need to be more intentional about my mental health. So I need to go back to therapy. I need to be more intentional about my environment, like organizing things, making things easier for me, being more soft on myself because at the time I was very hard on myself. I'm, I tend to be hard on myself because that's kind of how I move about life. Like I try to get it right the first time. If I don't get it right the first time, I'll try to get it right the second time (laughs) Um, or however many times I got to get it right. But I'm trying to be a little bit more soft on myself being like, okay, it was a miss. It's okay. Like you don't have to beat yourself up. We can get there. So yeah, being, like I said, just being softer on myself. Okay. So the loss of your mom, what does that mean to you today, five years later? I would say it's, I've gotten to the point where I've accepted the loss and it most people don't accept the loss for a very long time some people don't accept it at all mm-hmm. but I realized that my mother was in pain yeah and she had a lot of health complications that were keeping her from living a full life and I know that even though we were given the option of trying to keep her here, I knew that my mother would not like living that way. She would basically be in almost a vegetative state. Mm. And my mother was a carefree, moving about the world type of individual. And she would give you the shirt on her back and keep it moving. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that there was no way that we could keep her here like that. So I think today I have accepted that even though she's not here physically, she's a part of me. She'll always be a part of me. When I look at my family, I see her. When I look at myself, I see her. When I look at my work, 
even her, even looking at her clothing, because I even own some of her clothing still, I see her. She's still here. Mm-hmm. And that brings me comfort. How long did it take for that to be enough for you? Or is it enough for you? It took it, it took a good a good while. And like even though sometimes I still have my moments, it took me a, a good minute to really come to that conclusion. Uh, because a part of you when you're going through grief, you're like in denial. Mm-hmm. Then you start bargaining and then the acceptance comes along. And yeah, I think I've, I'm slowly getting into the acceptance part. I haven't, I wouldn't say I'm fully there, but I'm starting to make the realization of just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Somebody told me the other day that you can't fully move forward. I don't like to say move on, but you can't fully move forward until you do get to a point of acceptance. And I am a year into my grief, a little, it'll be a year and a month and three days. And I feel so far from acceptance. Like I'm not even close to even understanding what the word acceptance means. Right. So I don't know. It is, it is such a hard situation to be in. Again, that's why I wanted to create this space in general, because I'm trying to understand it. And it seems that regardless of where you are in your grief journey, there's still more to understand you know before losing my mom I knew grief in the very general sense of like moving away from home and getting like my period or something I don't know just different phases of life right I never really knew what it was like to experience a grief so heavy did you understand grief before losing your mom uh yeah I did actually um when I was about 13 I lost my great-grandfather so that would be my my grandmother so my mother's mother's father Um, and I was very close to him Uh, we actually all majority of my family we all go to the same church so I would see him pretty much every week every Sunday and that was my first encounter with grief and then I lost my great aunt to breast cancer uh, I want to say, I think I was like 16, maybe 15 years old. Okay. And that was like my second encounter. But the thing about it was those two encounters with grief weren't as heavy as they were when my mom passed. And I think the reason why was because she was with me in both of those. Mm-hmm. I was being comforted by someone who understood an adult standpoint. Mm-hmm. But once I got into adulthood and my mother passed, yeah, it, it, it took a turn. I, I could only imagine. Um, so I want to go back to our conversation earlier about making the decision and understanding that your mom wouldn't have a great quality of life if you would have kept her here. Did you, even with understanding that, did you have a sort of cognitive dissonance in that moment? Like, was it like, I understand this, but I don't want to? Or were you really just fully selfless in that moment? No, yeah. I remember when my grandmother had called me, I was in my dorm room. I had just gotten back from like two classes and my grandmother it was like later in the evening, she was just like, Brandy, I think you need to start packing your things and coming home. Wow. And I was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> She's going to make it out of this. Like my mom had been through 
200 plus surgeries. She had lupus and kidney failure. Oh, wow. Um, she had been through so much. And like, I was just like, okay, I'll come home, but I know she's coming out. She's mm-hmm. done it before, whatever. And then she was just like, I don't know. Uh, this, this time seems different. And I packed myself in the middle of the night and she came and got me and I stayed at the hospital with her and I saw my mom for the first time and she was um, voluntarily like medically induced. So there were tubes everywhere. She was on a heart monitor and my grandmother was explaining to me her condition and then she's the first thing, like the second thing she actually said to me was, we need to start making final decisions. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> there are me final decisions. And like, I, and I said it like really loud and I, like I was crying in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. it actually, my, I think my mother heard me and the heart monitor went off. Oh my God. And they had to, my grandmother pulled me out of the room because I was so hysterical because I was just like, I don't want to have to make these final decisions at this age. Like, why do I have to do this? Because I know she's going to pull through. And day by day, there was too much fluid on her lungs and it just progressed and progressed. And they tried to dialyze her, but it just didn't work. So... In these moments when we lose our moms, I think that there's just this general idea, even though you know that nobody has superhuman strength, nobody is immortal, nobody is able to abscond, I don't like the word death, um, a transition, mm-hmm. nobody's able to surpass that. But we have this idea, at least I can, I'll speak for myself and if you agree, you, you can, but I had this idea that my mom was literally like somehow superhuman and it sounds like from your experience it sounds like especially because your mom had been through so much that she was able to kind of be everything it's like there's nothing that can kill her that moment that you realize oh shit that's not true what was that like for you and what did that mean for you for your own personal perception of your existence it kind of opened my eyes to what transitioning really meant Mm mm-hmm like, as you said, like, I thought my mom was a superhero. Like, she had been through um, surgeries and so many transitions, trying to figure out if she wanted to get a kidney transplant to not wanting one. She was on dialysis for 13 years uh, because she just came to the point where she was like, you know, I'm seeing all my friends dying around me even though they got their kidney and it just didn't work for them she was like I just don't want to go through that and like her life expectancy she lived longer than a normal kidney patient Mm -hmm. and I, I count that as a blessing but in that moment of realizing that she was not superhuman I was like what does that mean for other people in my life? What does that mean for me? Like, <laughs> how do I how do I wrap my head around death and transition at 23? Like, it showed me that life is short and that everything you do in your life, do it with a purpose. 
Mm-hmm. And like even my mom would tell me as a kid, prior planning prevents poor performance <laughs> or a personal problem. Uh-huh. Okay. But it's the truth. You constantly have to prepare yourself to to do the best you can. And then she would also say to me, to thine own self be true. Like if you're not true to yourself, what are you doing? So I live by those words all the time now. That's so special. Um, But yeah, I can definitely agree with that sentiment. Like I was saying, you know, before um, you you started talking, I definitely still feel like, damn, how did something happen to my mom? Like, that's my mom. The, The world, to me, the world revolves around her and still does, quite frankly. And so I think that for me, just being fully transparent, understanding that something like that could happen to my mom or my mom could experience transition, it made me not necessarily care about my life as much. It made me, and I'm still working through this. I'm also in therapy, but for me, it's been hard to care because it's like, okay, well, if she could pass away, then I could pass away. And like in that sentiment, it's like, yeah, do whatever you want, do what makes you happy and make do things that count. Be um, intentional with your your thoughts and the things that you do. But on the flip side of that, this understanding that life is so like sand in your hand to me has really kind of changed my perspective on, I guess, like, I don't want to say the importance of safety. And again, this is like something that I'm working through. therapy but for me it's definitely changed how I move about the world it's like I have less fear which is a great thing in a lot of ways but in other ways it's like okay Danae you're might you might be being a little bit reckless or you might not be caring enough or you might because I have a hard time understanding still why people care so much I guess you know like it's hard for me to be in situations and obviously I'm not encouraging anybody to put themselves in positions where it's like you you'll definitely get hurt or dangerous situations and scenarios but when I hear people like for example my dad has been talking about what's been going on in Mexico and how all these people come up missing and how he would never go to Mexico and for me I'm like well I mean you have to go some way you know and that's obviously not the best way to think about things but that's kind of where I'm at right now no yeah I agree Like, it's kind of crazy having those conversations with your dad because I have those conversations with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Like, they they watch the news 24-7. Me, I stay away from the news. Yes. (laughs) Stay away from the news. And I I think I actually made that transition from staying away from the news when my mom passed because I realized that that was, like, a sensitive, traumatic way of, like, letting trauma into my life like I, I do watch the news of course for my own knowledge but mm-hmm. I have I have a point where I'm just yeah. like okay that's enough for today it's done yeah. right but no like I do sometimes I do walk around with no fear but then I do have my moments where I'm just like okay let me slow down mm-hmm. <laughs> let me slow down because I am still young and there are things that I still want to do with my life but I don't want to be overtly fearful and not move about the world and do the things that I, you know, want to do and be adventurous. Cause that's, I know that that's what my mom would have done. Um, But she did always make sure that I was aware that safety is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely same. I don't know. I feel like I'm going through this like very rebellious phase. I'm like, and I feel like I'm way too old for it. I'm like, I'm 27. <laughs> and like somehow I'm rebelling against my mom, even though she's not here uh, physically. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I relate to that. Like I, like I remember when my mom first passed, I literally would say like to the sky, like, why did you leave me here? Like, what was the point? <laughs> literally like so I like to do Pilates I work out um in that on my roof and like last Wednesday I was just having a terrible day and I was crying I, I, I finished my workout I was crying and I was yelling at the sky why the hell like did you leave me here like what is this for and what is the purpose and what is this worth I'm still trying to figure all that out um but no that's like that's real you just yell at the sky and you're like well damn like where are you and why and like why are we in two different planes so when people ask me how I'm feeling I always say I'm alive because it's like the opposite of what my mom is and like that only that's the only thing that I am sure of Mm -hmm. and that grief is hard and uh, just in terms of talking about grief and the work that you do at the African American Museum in DC, that place is riddled with so much grieving. And so taking your own personal grief and working in a space that really just highlights the fact that grief and our people is so innate because of the things that our ancestors have been through. Does that ever become too heavy for you? Or are you able to separate those two things? So I actually, I actually work at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum Okay. Um, in Baltimore, it's it's a Maryland it's a Maryland based museum uh, for Black history and Black culture, of course. Mm-hmm. But Namak is our sister museum, so okay, completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, if anything, recently actually, I found some of my family in the museum. Oh wow! So kind of coming into the con- the contest of who the Dorseys are. Like, there's literally a whole section in at my job where I got to learn about the Dorsey clan, where it started, like, where it ends and things of that nature. So having that, but then also thinking about just local history and, like, the trials and tribulations that we as a people have gone through and thinking about it in that aspect, I feel like whenever I met with having to look at kind of, like, traumatic imagery in the museum I I kind of go easy on it because I feel like we as a people have gone through so much trauma that we I feel like we need to start celebrating what is not traumatic Mm. remembering where we came from absolutely but starting to celebrate and be joyful in what is in the future that's kind of how I've had to kind of shift my thinking around just trauma and black trauma altogether. Yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you've brought your grief into your artwork, whether that's singing opera or creation outside of what you do for the museum? Yeah, I, I, I would say yes. Like majority of the work I do is marketing. But whenever I have to do like remembrance post uh, for our social media, whether it's a moment in history, I sit there and I really do read through like the history of that moment and kind of get a sense of like what that moment was like 
for the people that were experiencing it and you know just sit in it um i feel like people when we go into the museum we see beautiful works of art we see pictures but we don't sit with them mm. and we don't have a moment where we're just like wow this was a moment in time um where we really had to work through the struggle and yeah. even today we're still working through struggles but i think that knowing that we as a people are strong and we do move through those struggles, I think that's something to be celebrated. Yeah, yeah. That hardiness and heaviness that's associated with opera, that's just what it is in general, right? You have to be able to dig in your depths to be able to bequeath sound like that. Do you think that the grief or trauma or just the sadness that you feel around your mom, has that changed your voice or your sound at all or even where you're pulling that strength from when you sing? Absolutely. I feel like when I was first studying music because I started, I've been singing all my life, but Mm -hmm. I started studying opera when I was 14. And at that moment, I was just learning the songs. Like my uh, instructor would give me six songs and I would learn them all and come back next week and sing them all from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. But now that I'm 28, I, I again, sit with the music. And if that's me just listening to somebody else sing it to get a sense of like, what is this song really about? Or what does this mean to someone else? And then sitting with it and being like, okay, what does this song mean to me? Mm -hmm. Because with opera, you have to, in some way, put yourself into what you're you're sharing with others. Um, I feel like I had to learn that through my process of singing because you can't just sing a song because it'll just it'll it'll sound flat. There'll, mm-hmm. there'll be no emotion behind it. And I feel like bringing emotion to music it it's something that not only can you can minister and and bless your own self, but you could be ministering and blessing somebody else by just putting your all into it. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean when you say that you have to sit with it? What does it mean for you to sit in something? Um, whether that's just going over the notes, reading the notes, reading the words, really understanding each line. Um, I think that's what I mean by sitting in it. Like, annotating the music, kind of putting your own style on it, but understanding that the song has to kind of come through you. So the way that you're able to sit through the understanding of the process of what you do, do you feel like you're able to sit in the process of your grief or sadness? Do you think it's as easy? Do you think it's more difficult? Or do you think they kind of help each other? Um. I think it really depends on the day. Okay. Like some days it's it's easier to sit in in it and some days it's it's not. Like and I have to be okay with that. I'm just like sometimes I would try to force it on myself to be like, I'm okay, I'm fine. No, I'm not. <laughs> and saying it out out loud and saying I'm not okay has been something that I've been doing a lot recently. Uh, because I have a tendency of like bottling things up until it becomes a boiling point. 
Yeah. Um, and I think with grief, you can't do that. You have to feel the emotions. You have to let it wash over you in order to get to the next phase of the process. I, I agree. And I think as much as you could be vulnerable, as much as you could be honest, as much as you could be truthful or really feel your feelings, I think it's just one of those things that's too difficult to just know how to do right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You can be great at talking about your feelings and being sad, but what does it really mean to be vulnerable if you're not, if you're saying I'm not okay, but allowing yourself to feel those things, then is it even worth saying? Uh, which is something that I've also been playing around with mentally this week. Um Francesca, this has been so lovely, and you are just such a, a calming spirit. I'm like, <laughs> but you are just, you have calmed me down, mellowed me down. I was not oh having a great God. day. Yeah, um, but you are just so soft and gentle. Before I let you go, though, is there absolutely anything else that you would like to add to the conversation? Uh, yeah, I would say be soft on yourself. Be easy with yourself. You know, grief is layers it's like an onion you're constantly peeling it back and sometimes those layers come back and you have to work through it again and that's okay um but just know that even though you can never get over it day by day you can get through it yeah what do you think is the point of life um point of life oh that's a really hard question (laughs) um i would say to love and share the things that were placed upon you to do with others. Hmm. That's a good answer. I'm like trying to figure it out now. I'm like, if life is riddled with disappointment and grief, you know, obviously there's positive things there as well, but in the interest of talking about sadness, cause I'm sad, I'm just going to put that out there. You know, like what is the point? What is the purpose? So thank you for that. I'm going to add that to my arsenal as I continue to think through it. But Francesca, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and my friends here with damn mom, really the show that everybody wants to listen to and nobody wants to be on. My name is Danae and I will see you guys in a couple of days. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel the sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow, instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. 
five. Last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas. Really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them. Just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? 
See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.